Welcome to this week's podcast. I'm Mickey Badlamenti, discipleship pastor here at Rock Point Community Church. Our goal in the messages we share is to consistently present God's truth in ways that will challenge you, bring you new perspective, and ultimately lead you into closer relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you in your faith. We also welcome you to visit us anytime you're in the Detroit area. Our Sunday services are at 9 and 11 a.m. and include a full range of children's programs, as well as a ministry specifically for children with special needs. Find us on Facebook or visit our website at rockpoint.org for more information. Reading out of uh, Luke, a well-known passage, folks, and we're finally into shepherds and all the stuff that you've been waiting for for the last several weeks, all right? That night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, startlingly so, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them, the radiance, the shining. They were terrified. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid. He said, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you'll recognize him by this sign. You'll find a baby wrapped snugly in cloths, in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly, again, very startlingly so, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has told us about. And they hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. Father, I pray your anointing this day upon your word, that you'd open our hearts and our minds to receive it, Lord, and apply it, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. We've been in a series entitled, Light of the World. This is a phrase that Jesus referenced himself by, at least twice, that we know of. One of the most significant was done, um, according to Scripture, at the time of the Feast of the Tabernacles, which would have involved the illumination of the temple by some very large lamps that would have spread light all over the place. And uh, it's very probable that either when those were lit or just after they were put out, that Jesus would have shared this idea of him being the light of the world. Jesus was Jewish. He would have celebrated Hanukkah, which would have followed a month or so after um, this feast. Uh, so we've been into this series. We're dealing with preparation, dedication. Today, we're going to deal with uh, direction. We're in a different time period here than what we're reading about. And I, I'm going to try to give you an understanding of this that, that you may not have had that we quickly gloss over because we view it through modern lens. This passage we're talking about, and in fact, the entire world at that time, nighttime, daytime, had starkly different meanings and impressions to people. This was way before the capacity that we have had the last hundred years or so of electric lights or even gas lights of the last 200 or so years. Um, this was a time of candles at best, uh, an, an oil lamp perhaps. And so darkness was omnipresent. It was 
something that was very hard to overcome or diffuse, especially with the primitive tools and the poverty that would have been in place at that time. And so you need to kind of get a grasping of the idea that, that, that they would have had a different understanding of darkness and a different understanding of the difficulty in overcoming that darkness or challenging it in any way. And it's in the midst of this darkness that these shepherds would have been gathered. Perhaps they might have had a fire. Maybe not, because sometimes that can be a problem sometimes too. They might have seen some lights in the distance, but not like we're used to seeing of city lights. It might have been a few lamps in some homes or something like that that possibly would have been seen. But if it was truly nighttime, probably not. There probably wouldn't have been any. We don't understand this today because we can't get away from light. Uh, there are so many uh, light sources that we now talk about light pollution. We have so much light, we're throwing it away. You know, so we have light pollution. And so, you know, the observatories have to go to the highest mountains to get away so they can see anything. I was talking to someone after service who was a visitor of ours. They're one of our people from another country. And he just said how they've, they, they saw one star one time. We're excited to see one star in the local area here because they can't see stars at night. And I remember being able to step just a little bit outside the city and being able to see the whole Milky Way. We're in a very different time period than what was written in this time period. Now, I don't know why, and I've said this before to some of you, that you know that um, I have had a fascination over the years. The time I was a kid with flashlights, I, I, I don't know what that is about. I don't think it's an insecurity in the dark. Uh, maybe it's the electronics. I think part of it is just the idea of it's so cool to be able to light something up and, and have that in the palm of your hand. And there's so many cool flashlights out there. I know because I own most of them. <laughs> and so I remember the very first flashlight I had was about this size. And uh, I was probably seven, eight, nine, something like that. And I remember um, driving my dad for some reason in Pennsylvania got on the Ohio Turnpike, I think it was, and you stop at one of those uh, rest stops that used to be in those days there, and, and they had a vending machine, and in there were different things you could have, but one of them was a little small flashlight. I thought, that's so cool. So I don't know why my father gave me the quarter that he gave me, I think, or 50 cents, which is, in today's money, roughly you know $5,000 or so, but, uh, um, but he gave that to me to get this flashlight. And um, now I don't want to blind you, <laughs> It's on. <laughs> um, but we're so used to all the civilized aspects of light that, that if we were to lose that, if for, for a moment all that were just to go out. And even now, we're not in darkness. We have the decorations that are still lit up. And for the insecure amongst us, I'll let those stay up. Um, there are little lights gleaming on the platform here and there. And and then there's my big, powerful flashlight that, that you can see. Something similar to my very first. Now, as time went on, I discovered other flashlights. I found this one a ways back. I kind of like this one. I'm gonna, again, I want to be very careful. I don't, you know, but this one's a good one. This one's a really good one. But it is nothing like this one. <laughs> this one is really good. And then a ways back I found this one. And this one's even better. 
And I'm trying again not to get you too blasted, and I can't do this for too long or aircraft will land. Okay? But just a quick sweep. Okay? All right? I mean, they're cool. They're just, I mean, uh, people didn't have this in the day of Jesus. I mean, if they did, the shepherds would have had a wholly different experience. And so, we get an impression of what that is. Now, there's other types of light, and I discovered this a ways back. Um, this one is something we've dealt with before. Um, you see these increasingly, uh, let's see, you see that up there at all? Right around the O in the world? It's a laser pointer. Okay, we can direct things and direct attention. This is light amplified by the simulated emission of radiation, therefore laser, all right? And I thought those were fascinating. And I thought this was mega cool until I was out one time and I went to a place that was stargazing and they were discussing the stars with us and telling us all about it. And to do so, they used a green laser. They were pointing out stars with this. And you knew exactly, this is a very powerful, you can, this is just, I mean, and two of them are better. <laughs> and they only cost, you know, millions of dollars a piece. And you can have them chase each other. And, you know, dogs will ignore them, but cats you can drive into insanity. <laughs> you know, just on the floor and all like that. And, I got these just for the cats. <laughs> so, all these different lights, all these different sources that we have today, and these are just, you know, four or five of the 75 that I own. <laughs> but we're used to modern lighting. We're used to the ability to, at a snap of our fingers, suddenly just bring all the lights back on. we get in our cars, our lights turn on when you get in the car. We drive and the headlights nowadays automatically come on in most of the cars. Someone's coming at us with high beams that they're blinding us and so in warm response we hit our high beams up because it makes sense if we're being blinded to actually blind the other car that's coming directly at us. <laughs> it makes sense somehow to us. You know, all the different ways that we use light. Everyone in this room at one time or another has had a flashlight in their hand. And you've been on camping trips and you've walked your way around on things or you're in your house when the power goes out and, and so we have backups even to our light switched lights that we have. I came down uh, the other night uh, from upstairs to get something and, and I didn't turn any lights on for a minute because it's my house. I know my way around it. And I promptly stumbled over a pair of thoughtfully placed shoes that were on the floor. That was very upsetting. Uh, they were my shoes. Um, <laughs> you know, so we, we have all these different ways of light today. We have general lighting like we have right now in the building. Just general lighting that we can control. Um, we have focused lighting, like the flashlight 
that can focus somewhere or a spotlight that can draw our attention or, or guide us in some pathway. We have lasers, as we said today, in the last couple of decades of development that can point very specifically, not just general focus, but can really laser. We talk, in fact, about being laser-focused and tying and drawing our attention and guidance to something. We've even developed lasers to a point now, light, light. We have developed light to such a degree that we can use it to cut things, even metal today in an industrial laser. A lot of us have seen maybe these laser-cut wood things or, or, or paper that we've had in cards. We use light so freely that we don't understand what it meant for this time and for this place when these men were in darkness, the darkness they'd been used to most of their life. Daylight was so precious to them that they're in this darkness that, that we don't quite grasp what it meant for them when suddenly, radically, startlingly so, there's this angel of the Lord that appears and this radiance that the scripture talks about and that the glory of the Lord surrounded them that was so bright and powerful. They're terrified. This is like having an alien um, incursion or, or, or encounter. We get freaked out about those today. Not that I've had those, okay? But we, we can get talking about that. But these guys have this bright moment, and it's startling. It's terrifying. And the angel reassures them because all angels in their rookie year are told, look it, just learn the phrase, don't be afraid. Well, why don't you learn that phrase? Because every time you show up, they're going to freak out. Just trust me. Just learn the phrase, don't be afraid. And so the angel says when they're terrified, oh, yeah, don't be afraid. But they're still terrified. He says, I bring you good news, great news, in fact, about a Savior, about a Messiah, about the Lord, about the light of the world that is now entering into the world. Talks about Bethlehem and the city of David and, and lying in a manger. And, and if that wasn't enough and, and the disciples had finally kind of calmed down and they're listening and they're paying attention and everything's fine when suddenly, bam, there's still an army of angels now show up. And it's brilliant, more brilliant, all around them. And the host of angels singing Gloria in excelsis Deo. Glory to God in the highest. Glory to God in the highest. Gloria in excelsis Deo. Peace on earth to those whom God shows and is pleased with. This is powerful stuff that we encounter. Powerful. This sense of direction that, that light can give us, either to focus us or draw us to or, 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 or give us a clarity in the place with, is a, another phraseology that's used in regards to the Bible or the Scripture. In Psalm 119, 105, it says, Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and light for my path. Today we say a flashlight, but it would have been a lamp. It would have been a candle or an oil lamp. And this word of, of, of a lamp guiding light for my path. It would have had heavy meaning in that time period for them to talk about that. The scripture today, this is a weird thing that's going on, folks, and we'll talk about this another time. There's a significant portion of the church today in America that is actually deciding to separate from the scripture or downplay it or actually uh, unhinge themselves from it, if they will. Because there's certain things in the Bible that are offensive to our culture today. 
And they feel that if they don't unhitch from that and just point to Jesus or just point to the resurrection, maybe not even Paul so much and the writings in the New Testament, just kind of that somehow that'll get them past to have a conversation because people are so offended in our culture today at some of the things that they find in Scripture that challenge us. It's an extremely disturbing and incredibly dangerous trend that the church is playing with today. And it's not one that we're going to indulge uh, in this church. And I don't say that with an arrogance at all or a condemnation of others. I'm just saying that with a firmness. Ironically, I'm coming across more and more secular philosophers, atheists and agnostics, that are saying, look at our society is devolving, it's destroying itself, and we need to get back to what they refer to as the Judeo-Christian ethic and values. And guess where you find that at? In the Bible. And these guys are saying this, and they're, not, they're saying we don't believe in God, we're not saying we're Christians, but there's something about the, 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 the civilization based upon these principles out of this book that, that are healthy for people. Scripture tells us straightforward. It's a guide, it's a lamp, but it goes on in Psalm 43.3. It says, send out your light, talking to God, and your truth. Let them guide me. You see, light, truth, and guidance all blended together. Light has always meant truth. It's always been identified with truth, not falsehood. It's identified with guidance or directing us. It goes on and says, let them lead me to your holy mountain, to the place where you live. It takes us to a place where God's at. This, this scripture, the word, the light of Christ draws us into an understanding of the nature of God and to where he's at that we may be also, as Jesus would have said. As we look into this, we, we find also the scripture says this to us though, and, and I'm not gonna put these on the screen, so just listen to me for a moment. Hebrews chapter four, verse 12 says, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, uh, more edgy than any cutting laser. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. And this is why people find sometimes reading the scripture or the word of God to be painful and they want to reject it because it challenges us. It was meant to bring truth to a darkened world and darkened souls. But we love the darkness more, and so we push that away. Jesus one time answered Satan when he was being tempted in the desert and tempted with the idea of using his um, gifts and abilities to miraculously make bread for himself and satisfy his own hunger. And he says it is written in Matthew chapter 4, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. That, that we're not just physical creatures, but we are spiritual entities. And we only find our satisfaction deeply and fully in that which is also spirit, which is God. Light helps us to see where we're going so we can keep going in the right direction and not get lost. And the scripture does the same. It's important. Jesus is the word of God, we're told, who informs us what is good, what is true, what is right concerning God. All these things would have been present in one way or another in that night. 
And if this portion of conversation is at least giving you an understanding of what they would have experienced and the radicalness of that time period of this light penetrating and the importance of the word of God in the midst of that, then that would be sufficient for the moment. But I feel like we're in that one of those commercials. But no, not yet. There's more. If we look at that passage of Scripture, we find something specific happening. It says at the end of it, when the angels returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. They didn't just just sit there in the dark. They didn't just wait things out. They had a sense of direction. They had a sense of guidance. They they got up and they walked. Now catch this again then. They would have walked in the dark at that time. Everything would have been blanked out. They wouldn't have had candles. It's unlikely by far they would have had an oil lamp. Anything that would have been blown out. I've seen the the field where in theory they were at. And it's a wide swept open area. They, they wouldn't have carried it. So they're, they're going in paths that they would have carefully gone through. They have some familiarity with trying to go into Bethlehem in the dark. But they were moved to action. They were moved to a direction. Let's go to Bethlehem. And there they find the light of the world. A baby lying in a manger. Now, this isn't the only group that we find. There's another group. And if we're going to be complete with the story here, you had not only the wise men, but you also had three what? or not only the shepherds, but you had three wise men. You had three, what they are referred to as, as magi, or wise men, or type magician. I looked up uh, magi uh, the other couple of days ago, and this was weird. It came up was modified adjusted gross income. <laughs> I've never seen that one before. I mean, uh, modified adjusted gross income, okay? Um, okay. We think there were three because there were three gifts. Could have been 155 and the rest of the guys were cheapskates. We don't know. It could have been one who was very generous and had three. But it appears to be more than one because it says wise men. There seems to be a plurality here. So there's at least three, if not more. They're different from the shepherds and they arrive at a different time period. About a year and a half, almost two years after the event. And I know sometimes you'll see at a, at a crash or the nativity scene, all the, all the boys are there, okay? Shepherds, wise men, all at the same time. It's like, what's that about? Because by the time the, she- the wise men show up, it implies that they're in a house. They're not in the manger anymore, which was a temporary setting. Um, those are kind of collapsed together to give an overall view of what took place. But, but people are wise enough in general to realize this was two different time periods. These guys would have made a very difficult journey. They would have come from either Iran or Iraq, way over to the east. They were astronomers, astrologers, something of this type. They explored the stars, and, and they saw a star, and it spoke to them of prophecy, and it spoke to them of a king. And so these wise men make this journey. Did it take two years for the journey? Don't know. Maybe they needed to have preparations. Um, maybe they discussed it for a long time before they came. It would have been a difficult journey. Either way, two years later, they show up. And it says, wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem. And um, they go to the local king, who's King Herod, who was not a nice guy at all, but they don't know that. And they're wise men, but I don't think they were terribly politically astute because they go to the king of that town, Herod, of the area, and they say, hey, we've heard a prophecy and we've heard, seen a sign through the stars of, of, a, of the birth of a king, a, a new king. Now, again, give them, the, give them a moment of time. Think that they went there with the idea of saying, hey, did you just have a son born to you? If not, then they were being a little foolish to go to the king and say, hey, we just heard there's another king being born somewhere here. Oh, not connected with you? Oh, how's that make you feel? <laughs> you know? And the feeling we get is definitely one of, of insecurity, anger, fear. 
but he doesn't let on. It says he was deeply disturbed when he heard this, but instead he calls all his guys together and says, hey, where's this supposed to be? Well, it's supposed to be Bethlehem. And so he, he tells the, goes back to the wise man, he says, go to Bethlehem, search carefully for this child. When you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. With a knife. After the interview, the wise men went on their way, and the star they'd seen in the east, that light source again, guided them to Bethlehem. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house, not the manger of the house, saw the child, and then they had gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh that have to do with, with um, kingly gifts and, and also of, of pointing to a future of sacrifice. Scripture goes on in Matthew chapter 2 and says that um, after they were gone, an angel of the Lord appears to, to Joseph and he says, look, you need to leave town. And so they leave town. Uh, at the same time about the, the wise men are told uh, as well by God in a dream, don't go back to Herod. Uh, do not return to him. And so they disappear. So we don't know, days, weeks, months, some period of time goes by and Herod realizes these boys aren't showing back up again. He's furious when he realized that they'd outwitted him. His response, he says, he sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under. You have to hand it to Herod. He was thorough in what he was doing. He wanted to make sure that he covered all the bases, any child, any male child, two years or otherwise. And so we see these experiences Light sources affecting and having an impact upon three groups, if you will, people, shepherds, wise men, and Herod, this jealous king. It shows us with the shepherds that common people, that the piercing of the light of God and his glory is going to come into the lives of even the common people. Any one of us have access to that light. Any one of us can... can be delivered and see by the scripture. It also talks, though, about these wise men, even the intellectuals, even those who, who fancy ourselves great philosophers and, and broadly traveled. Also, the light draws us, whether it's a short trip from our shepherd's area across uneven and broken ground to come into the presence of the king, or whether it's a long, difficult, challenging journey. Either way, they come. And then, of course, there's Herod, who rages with fury and fear before a God whose word speaks and cuts his heart and, 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 and exposes the darkness there that when that light shines and, and that presence touches his life, he pushes back aggressively. And so one of the questions I have for each one in this room here and, and listening to us today is, are we like the shepherds? Are we those that are willing to let the light of Christ bring a stunning, startling perhaps, new message to us? Will we run over the rough places in our world to beat a smooth, straight path of faith to Christ? For those of us who are more inclined towards the intellectual, more cynical and harsh in those ways, they're confused perhaps by what we see, but we're interested enough in Jesus, we're interested enough in what we see in the depth of Scripture to go on what may be a very long journey of searching and of questing for this new king. Will we give him the tangible treasures of our lives, our minds, our time, 
our attention, our resources as a response to the light that reaches even to the parts of the world and our lives that may seem distant from God. Or again, will we be like Herod? Harsh, cold, rejecting, pushing back from any of these things. What happens when we encounter the light of Christ? What happens when our overwhelming darkness is penetrated by the piercing, driving light of God? There's an old story, you've probably heard it before. Ronald Reagan used to toss it around a ways back, and, and it's probably a myth, but, but it's about an a, a aircraft carrier and, and its battle group, the most massive naval force you're ever going to find in history, and they're sailing along in the North Atlantic, and they, they come across at one point a, a series of lights ahead of them, and so the admiral in charge uh, asks for a communication to be sent out, and, and he sends to his signal man, he says, send the message, he says, alter your course 10 degrees south. And there's a return response almost immediately. says, alter your course 10 degrees north. Admiral's angered by his command having been ignored, so he sends a second message immediately. He says, alter your course 10 degrees south. I am an admiral. Quickly, the response, alter your course 10 degrees north. I am Seaman Third Class Jones. The admiral's really annoyed at this point in time. They're steaming closer and closer to this light source and getting more and more concerned of the possibility of a collision and, and having the fleet be endangered. And so knowing the fear that it would invoke, he says, alter your course 10 degrees south. I am an aircraft carrier with my escorting warships. And the reply comes back, alter your course 10 degrees north. I'm a lighthouse. We know that in that kind of a conflict, only one will win. One is immovable. The other, for all its force and power, is not. In the midst of the dark and foggy times that we are finding ourselves in today, there are all sorts of voices shouting to us in the night, telling us what to do, how to adjust our lives. But out of the darkness, one voice signals something quite the opposite to the rest, Sometimes things that almost sound absurd, but that voice happens to be the light of the world and we ignore it at our peril because that lighthouse is immovable. That source is implacable and we are temporary. There was a um, hurricane years back, it was 2003, Hurricane Isabel hit the East Coast and it rampaged the mid-Atlantic states and came ashore first in all its fury named near uh, Cap ha Cape Hatteras, North Carolina. One of, the, one of the most famous lighthouses in our country's history is located on the tip of the island there. When the storm hit, the only road to the outside was utterly destroyed. Oceanfront houses were swept away. Um, cement foundations were torn off. One hotel was literally ripped apart and placed fully into the middle of a, of a, of a street. And there were appliances tossed all over the place. But when everything was done and said, that lighthouse still remained. It had not moved. It had not moved one inch. It, it maintained I've always been struck by a passage of Scripture, one we read the other week or two ago, John chapter 1, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. 
One of the translations says comprehend. It can't even comprehend. It can't get its arms around, but it can never extinguish it. It can never take it out. Are we shepherds? Are we magi? Are we Herod? Or do we play each role at different times in our lives? There's another passage. It's in Isaiah. It's a prophecy. And this prophecy reads like this talking about the Messiah to come. It says, I will lead the blind in a way they do not know, in paths they have not known. I will guide them or give them direction. It says, I will turn the darkness before them into light. And again, understand the depths of the darkness up until this recent time in history. The rough places into level ground. These are the things I do, and I do not forsake them. I do not forsake them. This morning, in this third part of our series, and next week we conclude it, I want you just to, for a moment, imagine the darkness that we've talked about. Imagine the startling breaking through of the things of God in that moment of time. Imagine if you've been there and and what that would mean. In our time today, with all that has been here, with all of the, of the lighting and every feature that we have, I think that we take the things of God very, 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 if you'll excuse the term, lightly. We take for granted. We know that if things get really weird, we can just flip a switch or pull out a flashlight or, or 75 or so. but let's get real for these last moment of time here. There's a play I'm going to go see tonight. We see it every year. It's Christmas Carol. It's about a guy named Scrooge. There's one line in in the story where someone's talking about how cold and heartless he is and says he carries his own cold temperature about with him wherever he goes. I think some of us carry our own darkness. Hurts from our past that we've never released. Injuries in the current time or our sense of insecurity. So many different ways that those things present itself. When Jesus said, I am the light of the world, there's a lot of meaning behind that. But one of those meanings was to penetrate our darkness. One of those meanings was to fulfill the prophecy. One of those things was to fulfill John chapter 1 of this light that shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it, can never take it out, can never define it. And the prophecy says, I will lead the blind in a way they don't know yet. In paths that I have not known, I will guide them that there are still possibilities out there for you that you don't even know about that I'll turn the darkness before them into light, the rough places into level ground. And then this final thing, again, I want to emphasize. These are the things I do, and I do not. I do not. I will not ever, ever forsake them. In this time, in this place, if even there's just a little bit of light that God has shown on you this morning, will you respond to that? 
Will you begin the journey, no matter how long or how short it may be? Will you open yourself and receive that? And in doing so, let that transform the darkest places of your own heart and mind. Father, this morning, we come to you as a people, and we may not understand fully the stunning aspects of what the shepherds dealt with or the lengths that the Magi went to pursue you. We really, we really do understand Herod probably more than we do the other two. It's more within us to reject you shining your light, your spotlight, let alone your cutting laser that would separate parts of our own heart away from us in order to let us live, to cutting the cancer out. But this morning, God, I pray that your heart, that your light, light would penetrate our hearts to such a degree that whether it's a short journey just from the fields outside into Bethlehem or whether it's a much more difficult journey that may take us to foreign places, that we would submit to the spotlight, the searchlight that you place upon us this moment, this hour, this day as we come to understand more and more of what it means when you say to us that you're the light of the world. As you go through the rest of this week, I have one little final thought for you. I think the angels were there the whole time. They took a moment there to suddenly reveal themselves. As you're going into this week and as you're walking through this season and you occasionally find yourself maybe in a dark place where it just doesn't seem like the light of God is penetrating, I want you to be aware that you never are alone. As a follower of Christ, you are never alone. And on occasions, don't be shocked to hear an angel suddenly start to sing quietly next to you. Father, I pray your grace in this season. I pray that your light would shine. I pray, Father, whether we walk fully in that light or struggle in the darkness, that we would realize that we are never alone, that you will never forsake us. That not only do angels walk alongside, Lord God, but your Holy Spirit is always present. Strengthen us, guide us, Lord. Bring us to a point of celebration fully and completely, I pray, even so next Sunday as we celebrate your birth on that day. We commit these things into your hands. In Jesus' name, amen.